Well, Star Mindsets, this is uh, another amazing episode of the show. Today, we're talking to an entrepreneur in the footwear fashion space. Billy Footwear is the name of the company and the name of the shoes, too, and his name's Billy, so <laughs> uh, they just go hand in hand. Um, and I've been reading re- really cool things and doing my own research, just hearing about Billy's personal journey into creating his own shoe company. It was quite fascinating, so excited to dive in and get to know Billy as a person and, you know, his entrepreneur mindset and just what uh, his day-to-day is like and what's it like running this company. So Billy Price, it's my pleasure to have you here on the Sermites podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's always such a privilege and an honor to be on these podcasts. So thank you so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Um, I guess, can you just tell us who Billy Price is outside of those words and just who you are as, you know? Billy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, so I, I mean, as you started, uh, uh, my name is Billy Price. I'm, uh, I'm one of two co-founders of the company Billy Footwear. And uh, as the name implies, it's a shoe company. We are based out of Seattle, Washington. And uh, it was a small little side hustle project that, uh, you know, started in 2015 and really got got picking up some momentum in 2017 when we ended up on the shelves of Nordstrom and Zappos. And uh, it really caught wind after that. And uh, it's a shoe that basically has a zipper that goes on the outside of the shoe around the toe. So the whole upper of the shoe can fold over and, uh, you know, put your foot in unobstructed. And the, the main premise behind that is um, I am a wheelchair user. So I was having a hard time making my shoes or put my shoes on. So I did something about it. So we started a brand and uh, it's really caught fire. Yeah. How did you get the idea for this? And like, were you one day just having trouble trying your shoes and you, you had to get people to tie your shoes? Because I, I used to work at a nursing home and I would wheel people around um, who are disabled and uh, sometimes, you know, tie their shoe or <laughs> help them with uh, something under that part of their bo- lower half of the body. Did somebody give you the idea or like, were you just like zippers and shoes? Why aren't they a thing, right? You know, great question. I, and I honestly don't really know if I thought this thing up or all of a sudden the idea just like came to me in the moment, but I, I mean, my backstory, I broke my neck and my, uh, and my lower back when I was a teenager, I ended up, I fell out of a three-story window, uh, when I was 18 and it was a head first fall to concrete. So spinal cord injury, in both the neck and the back, which left me paralyzed from basically the nipple line down. Really? So when that, Gosh. yeah. So when that happened, my world just like turned upside down. So not only could I no longer walk, but I also lost dexterity in my hands. So there were so many things I used to be able to do independently that I could no longer do. And on that massive list, shoes is one of them. So um, I stared at my feet for a long time. And uh, I think just through that time frame, an idea kind of birthed itself. But I never really had the opportunity to take that, that idea and put it to action. Until Darren and I, longtime friends, uh, rode the bus together growing up, went to elementary school, played baseball. Um, we were spitballing at a, a party one night. In a, it was a Christmas party in December of 2011. And uh, we were just kind of catching up and shoes came into that conversation. And I threw an idea at him. I said, you know what? I bet if there was a shoe out there that had a zipper that was configured in a certain way, I could take back that independence. And uh, coincidentally, he was working on his own shoe project. So he already had some contacts in place. So he made a prototype, he gifted it to me. And that was the first time I was 36 at that time. That was the first time I'd put my shoes on in 18 years. So I broke my neck oh my 18. Gosh. 
I put my shoes on here at 36. So literally half a lifetime later, I was taken back to independence and it was just so special. We knew we had to share it somewhere. Wow. Yeah. I, I, um, so like I, I read the book, Shoe Dog. Oh, I didn't, I didn't fully read it, but Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight, Nike, um, PNW, Pacific Northwest person too. Uh, really interesting in like the story of shoes, how how they're created, and you know, not the average person can make a shoe, right? Like there's so much like logistics and hard. It's a hardware product, and um, it's it's quite fascinating. Uh, and then also something I. I wouldn't say it's similar that I was reading too in the book Think and Grow Rich with uh, Napoleon Hill was a story of hearing aids and somewhat maybe similar to you. And this person, he had, uh, he was deaf or partially deaf and magically like the hearing aids worked. Like I didn't quite understand the explanation, but it was so fascinating that like there was just this really big belief there. I'm uh, pretty impressed with uh, what you were able to accomplish just given the circumstances of you know, even making it through and, you know, saying, I want to be a functioning member of society still. But when you were working the job you had before this one, what exactly, like, what exact, exactly made you want to pursue the idea a little bit more just because, or turn it into a company, right? Just because maybe it solves a problem for you, but now it's like solving problems for millions of similar folks, right? Right, right. Well, I mean, so before the shoes, uh, my first job, uh, my the job I had before this thing, um, I was working for the Federal Aviation Administration, which is a complete airplane related, completely different than shoes for sure. <laughs> and uh, so this so this shoe project, it was really just a side hustle of just trying to, you know, introduce it to the world. And we started doing that through a Kickstarter campaign just to kind of gain awareness and get some support behind it and just to kind of experiment to see if the market was interested in what we had to offer and then also to kind of tap into how big the market actually was. So uh, in working at the FAA, um, I would do that during the day. And then Darren and I would work on the shoe thing um, in the evenings and on the weekends. And uh, it, it just ended up getting more and more attention and more and more and gaining more and more momentum. And then uh, as the, as like the business kind of grew a little bit, it finally got to the point where we could responsibly take money out of the shoe business um, to pay the salaries, put food on the table and step away from our day jobs. So it wasn't just one of those deals where it's like, okay, I'm going to just start this thing because it's, it, there's a lot that goes into shoes, a lot more than I ever knew. Um, Darren kind of had some experience coming into this project because he was work, working on his own thing. In addition to that, he's been a business owner for many, many years. So he's kind of understood what it meant to be an entrepreneur. Um, for me, I, it was all, it was all new to me. All I had was a story and like a vision and a, a passion to build something. Um, but it, 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 as I say, we had to do it as a side hustle just to like see and like vet this thing out. And then sure enough, it really started to pick up steam. What? Well, that's fascinating. So what, what was like the moment when you noticed that the business was uh, something that, that uh, you could pursue for a longer time? Was it when you hit like a hundred sales or was it like, your first sale must have felt incredible, right? Because that's uh, <laughs> the first one's always the best one, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, the first sale was very, very special. Um, you know, we started this thing with a Kickstarter campaign. And well, I mean, the people that were supporting us through Kickstarter was, was obviously kind of part of our own network. And then obviously expanded out of that network because, um, you know, people know each other. And then it just kind of goes after that, um, keeps compounding on itself. But the first e-commerce sale that we got, the gal's name was Ashley Walsh. And Ashley, I hope you're listening. 
Um, it would be amazing to connect with you one of these days. Uh, she was our first e-commerce sale. I think she lives in Australia now. Um, at the time, she was living in Washington State. But it was it was so special that we actually um, hand-delivered it to her and went over there and just gave her the biggest hug ever, going like, oh my gosh, you are our first sale. <laughs> and it's wild because that was sale number one. And now on our e-commerce site, we have, we've done over 130,000 e-commerce sales. So it's been quite the increase. Um, your question though, actually like of like when that pivotal moment was like that we knew that we could, that we were really holding on to something. Uh. It, it happened. Um, there were two, there were two elements. One was when we got on the shelves of Nordstrom and uh, in store at Zappos, um, both very, you know, established marketplaces um, out there. They're, 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 ha- they're household names. Uh, to be on their shelves and be in their e-commerce platform, um, that was incredibly validating. But immediately after, you know, being in their store, there was a, a customer that went into a Nordstrom and uh, found out about the brand and had just a wonderful, wonderful experience, went home and did a Facebook post about it. And that particular Facebook post, there wasn't much to it, but for whatever reason, this thing was shared 280,000 times oh, in three days. And then lifetime now it's been over 600,000. So when that <laughs> viral post happened, it just went bonkers and everybody started finding out, finding out about the brand and got so excited. And that's when we knew that we were on the right path. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I found like in business, a lot of the best things that happened weren't really planned, right? <laughs> like you don't know who you're going to meet or exactly who's going to invest in you or, you know, where the money's going to come from. But if you have like a good product and like a good story behind it, I feel like that's how a lot of successes built, foundations are built on. I also read, well, okay. One, one thing I wanted to bring up was, uh, have you seen the TikToks that are made, uh, that that showcase like the shoes because i before before I, I we did the podcast i was looking at a tiktok and there was this person who was wait tiktok about the shoes i'm like oh wow that's crazy <laughs> so so i like so it's a zipper um and there's no shoelaces at all right uh some of them some of our shoes do not have shoelaces uh, most of them do um the shoelaces are actually and they are functional they're not, they're not just decorative because we found that everyone's foot's a little bit different. So you get the, what you do is you put your foot in there, you lace the shoe up to get your fit right, you double knot it, then use the zipper. But the shoe you saw, it may have not had a zipper because, I mean, excuse me, it may have not had laces, um, but we do have both. <laughs> that's, that's that's really interesting. Like uh, before you had these shoes, were you using like a shoehorn or like, were you using like, how did you put on shoes or were you always in sandals or? <laughs> The shoe, <laughs> the shoes that I wore uh, before our shoes came around, were the same shoes. Uh, they were just regular lace-up shoes. I'm mean, shoes that I was wearing before I broke my neck. Actually, it's just that I couldn't put them on or take them off independently. So I always oh. needed to have somebody else help me put those on or take them off. But with your with your product, you're able to do it all by yourself, and no one. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. Most definitely. Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing. How uh. How, like what's what's it i guess billy what's it like running this this company just because a shoe company <laughs> i feel like it's so much different than i don't know software or like a start tech startup right like shoes um it's fashion it's in a blend of athletics it's in a blend of 
like everybody needs a shoe to get to get somewhere unless you don't believe in shoes and you're barefoot which is also okay <laughs> like well it's pretty incredible is? it's pretty incredible i mean and, and it's such a it's such a blessing to be in the position that i am at i i, I will say that you know there's a lot of stuff that i'm just learning as i go um you know, when we first started this thing, it was just Darren and myself. And then we, we brought on a third person who had a lot of connections um, into the shoe industry. So he ended up being a big door opener for us to get us to broker meetings for us to be able to get into the rooms and like share what we were doing, what the mission was, what the vision was, what the potential of the market is, and uh, just can connect with amazing folks. But from there, that original three, I mean, now we have a staff of 25. Um, it's still a small team, but it's significantly larger than when we first started. And uh, we just moved into a 25,000 square foot warehouse, which is significantly bigger than my parents' basement where we is, started. Is that where you are right now or is it in the... Uh, yep, I'm, I, I, I'm taking this call right now from uh, our warehouse. It's, a, it's an office and warehouse, but ah. on the other side of the wall behind me, there's about 250,000 pairs of shoes. Man, that's, that's so interesting. I feel like a lot of people, they, they don't necessarily want to make a shoe, but they want to make a t-shirt or like a merchandise for their brand. Um, do you feel like that was... Uh, I guess like, do you, did you feel like shoes was going to be the only thing you were going to make? Or do you guys also manufacture like shirts and hoodies and other wear things we, people wear? We do, we do have some apparel. Uh, it's, it's mainly just for branding. Um, we have some sweatshirts and hats and, and t-shirts and stuff. Uh, we haven't really gotten anything custom or anything like that. It's just more branding, but the shoes was the more, um, I mean, we named it footwear for a reason. So the, the showcase was going to be uh, mainly shoes. I had no idea the complexities of shoes, like nor like just be able to be able to find someone to make the shoes. I mean, like we're in Seattle, but mm -hmm. there's no one in Seattle like physically making shoes. So our factories are overseas. Um, and then to get connected to those factories, I mean, that's a whole other you know, conversation. Because Did you need to learn a right. different language you, for that? <laughs> well, so we, you find an agent, you find an agent or a sourcing partner, and then they're the ones that work with uh, the various agencies over in China. So we work with a lot of folks here in the United States that have connections to those factories overseas. So um, I have not had to learn a new language. I think that's just very like, special because i feel like you know we put on a shirt and we don't even think of or shoes too we don't even think where they came from who made them or you just see like a brand like adidas or nike and you don't really appreciate all the i guess labor that goes into that um when when you uh i guess do you guys like have are you guys like the only zipper shoes out there or well, having zippers and shoes is not original. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, well, there are a lot of brands out there that have zippers and shoes. Uh, it's just that the way oh, ours is right. configured, the way that ours is configured is it's unique in that it goes around the toe like it does. It's the whole premise is being able to have that thing fold over so it actually exposes the whole footbed and you can drop your foot in unobstructed. You're actually like stepping in. You can like lead with your heel if you want it. And that's, that's the part that's unheard of. I mean, having a zipper and a shoe or like a boot or something like that, just to be able to make it easier to access. But at the same time, even with that unzipped, you still need to kind of lead with your toe and like shove your foot in. And that was my main challenge. I wasn't able to shove my foot into a shoe. So that was the whole premise of like being able to create something, you drop it in and check it. That's the part that's unique. And that's the part that is allowing us to be very disruptive in the marketplace. Gotcha. I bet, I bet they're like uh, hit at the airports too, right? Like it's just... 
<laughs> you know, it's yeah. funny you say that because like, you go through, yeah, you go through TSA and then you have to take your shoes off and stuff. And when the, the guard there sees you just like zip in and like pop out and whatever, <laughs> they're like, what are those? And uh, huh, it takes me back because uh, early, very, very early on, we ended up being in a reality television show when we were just presenting the brand. And was it, it Shark was, Tank? It was not Shark Tank. It was on the <laughs> Oxygen Channel, and it was they were trying to do their own little Shark Tank type thing. So I would say it was Shark Tank esque, but not Shark Tank. <laughs> and the funny thing about it was the brand um, we hadn't ha- we didn't have shoes yet, really. I mean, we just had some concept models and prototypes. And I remember going through TSA, and as a wheelchair user, when you go through TSA, it's a whole different process. Like they have to pat you down and wand you, and like you know, examine sure. like your your hands for all this explosive, like whatever. And anyway, they stopped me. And for whatever reason, I beeped. And then the TSA person had to do like more of a intrusive pat down. And that required them to take my shoes off. And then they're trying to shove my shoes back on. And in that conversation, <laughs> they're asking me like, so what do you do? It's like, well, I own a shoe company. Like what kind of shoes? I'm like the kind of shoes that prevent this from happening. Like for you have to <laughs> shove my foot into a shoe. It was just so silly. And uh, anyway, the shoes did not exist at that time. But uh, for the next flight, they did exist. So, but I didn't beep, so I didn't have to take my shoes off. So, anyway, was that's, that's, a little funny sidebar there. That's really fascinating. Well, Billy, one thing I think we always talk to about entrepreneurs here is like, what what were like the challenges of getting this off the ground? Because, uh, like with any business, you know, it could be validating this point to somebody that opens those doors, as you mentioned. Like, considering you guys are even in Target, so I'm gonna. Have to- check these out at target <laughs> but but getting in the target that's such a huge accomplishment man even uh i mean the, there's so many things that are competing for that retail space in target what uh what do you think unlocked the doors to to get target to green light this or how does that whole process kind of go just is it a bunch of sales um negotiations is it like you write them a strongly written letter. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> uh, target, target was tricky. It was it was tricky to get into Target. Uh, we tried, and they tried three different times, and uh, we just could not. Target drives a very aggressive price point, and for us to be able to meet their margin expectations, it was very challenging. And uh, so the we finally were able to do it by locking arms with the right partner or the right uh, the right factory, and then uh, the right design that had um, the ability to meet the price point that they were looking for. Um, but the reason Target got interested in the first place is they were seeing what we were doing on our own e-commerce as well as in other stores. So they saw the brand growing and they saw that it was um, being you know, spoken highly of in the inclusive environment, inclusive space. Um, there were lots of folks out there that were, that were approaching the brand because of their functional needs. And, uh, but also having like the trending style lines just to be able to stay on the fashion side too. So that was appealing to them. And uh, they were looking to expand their um, more adaptive category and uh, our shoes fit that bill. So it was, um, it, it, it took a lot of work to get there for sure. But really the work was all before Target even existed. Right. And that was a matter of getting um, awareness of the brand and getting the capital to be able to make the shoes, to sell the shoes. So hence the whole side hustle. I mean, like we were working day and night to be able to fund not only our daily lives, but to fund this project yeah. to grow, to grow to the point. 
And then uh, we were working, it was all sweat equity. We were not taking any salaries to do that. But when more and more, pe- more and more people found out about the brand, they were telling other people about the brand. And then the sales started to go up. And then with that, we would work tremendously hard to make sure that all of our retail partners were selling through all of their inventory. So then they would buy more inventory, just making sure that they were successful, like helping somebody else before we're helping ourselves. And uh, we did a ton of giveaways um, through social media just to wow. uh, raise more awareness. And that type of grassroots movement that just, you know, tried and true my hard work um, ended up paying off. No, oh, yeah, it's it's quite incredible. I'm I'm trying to <laughs> I talked to a lot of I guess you want to call it successful people here of people who've made millions of dollars, but I feel like this one's just so much more easy to visualize because there's a shoe and it's not a I don't know, a line of code that they insert into a website. <laughs> just to just to pictureize that. But when you were talking about if if you were, you know, when you brought us back to those days where you're trying to fund yourself as well as the idea and um the company that's that's a very interesting time in, in an entrepreneur's life when their where their money is going not necessarily to themselves but all into the company did and that's is that was that would you say that that was the most challenging part along this way or what do you think you found most oh challenging? wow i mean if you want to talk about the most challenging parts i mean we've we've get we've been hit with some real real curveballs i mean like I would say the biggest, I mean, one of the biggest challenges we had early on in our story was when we first started, we, our first manufacturing run was 4,200 pairs of shoes. Mm-hmm. It was two kids shoes, two women's shoes, three men's shoes, just a very small, small amount of shoes and 4,200 pairs of shoes at that time felt astronomical. But now looking back, it was super, super small, but it cost way more money than it should have um, just because we didn't really know what we were we didn't really know what to expect because everything was new to us. And uh, when those shoes delivered um, to us, it turned out when we started opening them up, 80% of them were bad. They were just oh. like, they were just, we were not able to sell them. I mean, like functionally they would work, but they, they just looked terrible. And as a, as a brand that's just emerging into the market, you can't have a, like a, a shoddy looking product because that'll haunt you forever. And uh, so that was our first step out of the gates. I mean, that was a huge, huge challenge to overcome because we had to look in the mirror going like, what are we doing? I mean, are we actually going to do this thing or are we just going to like think of ourselves like, well, that was fun. We gave it a shot and, you know, oh, well. And uh, we ended up leaning into it and saying like, you know what, let's find better manufacturing. Let's find better partners and let's get, let's build better relationships to do this thing better. And uh, it's interesting because looking back, had that failure, this is the part that's so strange, having uh-huh. that, if that, if that failure had not happened, we would have not gotten connected with the right people to get the wow. job done. So it makes you think like, well, shoot, we should just celebrate failure, but it's such a jagged pill. I mean, nobody wants to celebrate failure. It's just like, right. man, but interesting enough that success typically follows some epic fail i i think like something to echo there in terms of failure is that failure makes you like more it gives you more stamina or it gives you more like callous hand I, you know it gives you more endurance to 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 keep going on a on a journey rather than just um without it like maybe you don't have the experience to build on or the knowledge to build on because 
you learn a lot from those failures and it's, it's, you know, for me personally, I've failed a lot of things and I think it gives success its flavor at the end of the day. Right. Just cause you know, you're looking back right now and you're thinking like, Oh, there was this crappy, <laughs> we had, we had some, we had some crappy product and then, and then now the product, you know, people are raving about it, but it's, it's such an interesting thing. I, I, it's just, it's part of the game. And, but uh, what, what kept you going though? You know, cause I feel like certain failures, they could be uh heartbreaker or they could be like deal breakers, right? Like, you know, what, what do you think kept you going personally or the team? Because, uh, you know, your vision and your energy changes obviously. Um, but uh, what, what yeah. kept you on the path to this? <laughs> You're right. You need to have that why. If that why is not big enough, I mean, it's hard to get out of bed and just keep pushing forward. Um, so the, our business, um, you know, our, our kind of our mission statement is to make a measurable difference in the world one foot at a time. Nice. So we're, 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 in the ad, we're in the ad value business. We, we want to we add value to the world through shoes. And so how do you do that? And uh, what we did was we have lots of tools out there that allow the customer to give feedback on one, how their shoe is performing, but two, offer some perspective and some testimony on how it's working for them. So we would get these reviews and we would get these like emails coming back from end users talking about life transforming situations, like situations that lo and behold, the customer was in the same spot that I was where they haven't been able to put their shoes on in whatever amount of time. And then all of a sudden they can't. Or a parent that has a child that, you know, struggles walking or something like that or struggles putting their shoes on or just they're having a very difficult time finding a pair of shoes for their for their child because they're wearing some sort of brace and it's very challenging to shove it into a shoe. And then all of a sudden, the functionality of our shoe works for that for that situation. And they write these letters to us and it's like, oh, my gosh, you can just feel the tears between the lines. And that, my friend, that is a driver. I mean, like, because like, oh my gosh, this is a small sampling. There has to be so many other folks out there that may be feeling the same thing. And uh, so we just, we just do everything we can to keep growing the business to be able to add more value and more comments keep coming in. More people are telling people about the shoes. So it's just, we're just helping each other. Well, here's my friend Earl. He he hosts the show with me too. He went to night graduate school of business so he knows like about nike and shoes <laughs> i like to think but uh uh what's it called um what was i gonna say uh yeah yeah this was going back into the driving motivation you were talking about how um you would see somebody's face and how the product changed their lives literally just happier without having this problem of uh just hard to put on shoes like just a problem of, you know, not having a shoe they like and having a good like experience with the shoe. But um, was it, was that something you would tell yourself? Like when you were thinking of quitting or just, I don't know, like going another direction. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. Great question. It's just, there's so many different facets to it. There's not just like one thing that I tell myself or one different, one different situation. Um, there's, I mean, like, well, I guess one thing to say is like, it's not just me, you know, it's a, it's a team effort. So um, when we first started, it was just a matter of like, can we build this thing to be able to put food on our own tables? And now we have a full team here and they're all believing in this project to be able to put food on their table. So they're working extra hard, leaning into any sort of challenge that comes our way. 
Um, so there's a lot more momentum coming our way. And when there's momentum, if there's any sort of failure or some sort of bump in the road, any sort of challenge, any sort of like difficult situation where we're trying to really make something work for a customer, that momentum really helps carry us through. Um, oh, God. But the same, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's not that challenges can go away. I mean, the challenges, it's almost like the challenges are there to test us because we're on the right path. I love that, man. Uh, here's my friend Earl. You should meet him. He's a cool guy. <laughs> he has kids. Hey, might hey, like your yeah, shoes no, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I I looked up your shoes. Like, oh wow, I definitely have to be, you know, in, in this podcast. Uh, even as late, I, you know, kind of picking up my kids and all that. Um, you know, w- one question for me is, you know, obviously, you know, Dan and I work sometimes in the tech software space, and you know, this is more of hardware manufacturing. Uh, tell us more about like. What what in your mind would be the difference? I guess in building up a kind of a, a company that makes real products, right? Like kind of that people touch and feel versus let's say a products that's kind of software. Um, because it's probably our audience are kind of very curious. Uh, you know, it just seems it's harder, right? But I wasn't sure if that's the right impression. Well, I would say, I mean, I the, I mean the customer may be different, but I would say that you know, our ability to reach customers is heavily hinged on our ability to work with technology. I mean, like there's so many technologies out there. Like we have an ERP system, which is managing our whole business, the whole back end of our business, our website, you know, there's so much technology in that to be able to understand what the customer is looking for, being able to tweak it in a way that helps the customer find what they're looking for. If they come to the site and they bounce for some reasons, like, okay, what happened there? Was it was it something that went wrong? Would they get frustrated? Do they, you know, how do how do you improve that user experience? So the what I'm getting at is whether it's technology or whether it's a hard hard good, it's a matter of just like understanding what the need is, understanding like where where's the what what's the need, what's the problem, what's the action required to fill that gap, and then let other people know about it and be excited about this solution that you have and then collaborate with others to build it. So whether that's technology, whether that's hardware goods, I think there's a lot of similarities um, in terms of approaching a problem, breaking it down to smaller pieces and then overcoming it. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually had the same kind of thought a while back. We interviewed somebody who, uh, who, who we were talking to them about like the, how did they handle like Instagram becoming a new marketing tool and it didn't exist? And they're saying the principles, you know, for running successful campaigns on Instagram are probably the sim- They had a lot of similarities with yellow pages or uh, flyers and just, I guess, the digital aspect um, has, you know, as to your point, the the core, like the, the core facets of uh, what what makes what needs to be done just in a different tool or it's like, maybe it's like just a different tool to to do something. So very cool. Instagram is a beast. I mean, man, I mean, it's, it was nuts to get to, (laughs) I, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago when we would look at our Instagram page and if one person, we got one more follower, it was like, Oh my gosh, we just got one more follower. And it would just be heartbreaking if you lost a follower. Because it's like, okay, we have 100 followers. And like, all right, 100, then drops to 98. You're like, what happened? You guys got 20K now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, then it gets to 105. You're like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. 
but it, it just we we started to get the word out just to a lot of giveaways um so but it was a lot it, it took a lot to get from 100 to 500 500 to 1000 it took forever to get to 5000 and then 10000 and then it really started to pick up steam and uh you know i remember we had we had this huge cake we got a custom cake that said like 10000 with the 10000 follower mark and the amount of time that it took to go from 0 to 10000 as compared to 10000 to 20000 10,000, 20,000 is a fraction of the time is it, then it took from like zero to 10. And then it just keeps going on. <laughs> One of my friends has told me that too, that uh, it just snowballs and snowballs. But, but really, what, there's, I feel like there's just so many things that you had to learn that you they were unknown, right? Um, in the business. Uh, what, uh, how, how do you, I guess, how do you make this? How do you how do you have an appetite to learn such new things? Just because <laughs> shoes is difficult to learn, they don't teach you that in the school, right? Like there's no school to make. Oh, I guess there are, but like not not to the common folk. Like, <laughs> how do you keep learning? Do you read books on these things? And they're like, what's your way to knowledge? And or how, do you find the yeah. person to do it for you? Or well, I, I wouldn't say I find someone to do it for me. It's more finding someone that knows what they're doing. I mean, I think typically what I, what my approach is trying to put myself in the spot of the customer. And if the customer is approaching this and trying to find certain a certain thing, like what would be the steps and what would be the behavior that they would be going through and how can I make it easier for that person? And then it's like, okay, if then you start approaching like, okay, well, how do I make it easier? And I don't have the answer. Where do I find the answer? And then typically my approach is, um, it's not necessarily books because I mean, books, stuff is changing so fast. I mean, you talk about Instagram right. and stuff like that. You're not going to learn about that in the book. So, I mean, I, you could find information on that in YouTube or what I started doing was I would go to the influencers out there or the people that had the 50, 60, 100,000 followers. And I would direct message them. I'm like, you know what? I absolutely love what you got going here. And, you know, I'm sure it took forever. Like I've got X amount of followers and it's like, I'm trying to reach out. I'm doing these different things. I'm doing some giveaways and like it's, it's, it's growing, but I just want to let you know that I just admire what you're doing. And I would love to just have a chat and just like pick your brain for about 20 minutes and just like, you know, kind of understand like some of the roadblocks you figured out. And that's like, you know, you're elevating that person, but you're also like seeking mentorship. And then sure. with mentorship, it's like, you're going to follow in the footsteps of that giant. You're going to try to like build on their shoulders instead of starting from scratch. And uh, that type of mentorship mentality, um, it's really helped as well. And and people responded uh, to you. I mean, because I mean, sometimes you assume that the other mentor, I guess, especially they they're kind of doing this maybe even full time that they're busy to even respond to, uh, you know, not not even a fan, but actually someone who wants to be men mentored. Um, what was their reaction? You know, when you messaged that? because I think all of us have that fear of asking for help but but the admire that you have that you know in you right even if you're a you know successful you know business founder well i mean not everybody replied back um so it's, <laughs> but i mean but the thing is it doesn't there's no there's no harm in trying it's like you know it's if, if you're gonna if you're gonna win the lottery you gotta at least buy a ticket right so um it, it's it was a, it's 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 a matter of taking action so it was a matter of like all right well i really like the fruit on their tree I'm just going to reach out and see what happens. And it wasn't a matter of them doing something for me. It was just a matter of like, you know what? I love what you're doing. I mean, just like you offer up a compliment and uh, I would gotcha. just love to be able to 
say hi and this is what I'm trying to do. And um, and oftentimes what would happen is, you know, they'd write back going like, wow, you know, thank you so much for reaching out. You're right. It has been a bear. And it's like, I love doing this. And uh, I love what you're doing. I mean, they'll check you out. And then all right. of a sudden they would end up, um, oftentimes they would end up following our page. And then they would give some sort of shout out and say like, hey, just uh, maybe some sort of giveaway, um, some sort of collab- like real small collaboration. But then it would just be another chance to get new eyeballs. But that wasn't the main goal for me to be able to like leech off of their audience. It was just more of like trying to understand like their playbook and like try to validate validate the playbook that I was doing. Because what I found was it's not like it's not like you take this magic pill and all of a sudden it's just perfect. It's just like you got to put in the work. I mean, there's no there's no shortcut for hard work. You just have to put right. in the work, and uh, you know, one step at a time. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, Billy, one, one more, a couple more things here I want to talk to you about is just um, the shoes. Like, uh, what was I going to ask you? <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot. <laughs> Products, that, yeah, as you mentioned, was that difficult for you just emotionally because you worked so hard to make something or spent so much money, your own money? Or how does that decision come about? Like, if you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, boy, great question. And, you know, I, I need to kind of go back and put myself in that spot because you're right. It's just like, you know, we didn't have that many shoes. So because of that, you are looking at the dollars and cents and you just don't want to give this stuff away. But we started looking at it through the lens of the amount of money that it costs to make the shoes and the amount of money that it would cost to do advertising through social media. And it ended up being the same i mean about the same and uh we just we just understood that it was a sunk cost we'd already paid for it so uh we need to try to we need to try to get it out there and it, it just seemed like um it right. I, I don't know we, we we were excited to do the giveaways and stuff like that but it was it was all that we had because we didn't have all of our money that we would earn would go into product so all we had was products that was the only thing we could give away. ah gotcha yeah, so that it wasn't like we had more money to do advertising. That just wasn't even an option. All we had was product, and then hopefully we'd be able to, you know, get somebody stoked to be able to talk more about the brand. I hear you. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very interesting. I think that with just the shoes, man, it's just now there was there's kids, there's a kids um, demographic, there's uh, you know elderly folks and. Uh, I would, I would even wear these, man. I gotta get me a pair. <laughs> um, but uh, well, that was the that was the whole premise. I mean, we wanted to be able to. Um, when we first we did the Kickstarter campaign. We had three demographics, but when we really expanded the line, we went just into kids, and uh, because that was the most low hanging fruit. Because we know that as a parent, me as a parent now, um, you know, anything we can do to get our kids ready faster in the morning, it's always a good thing. And then to be able to empower them to be able to do stuff on their own, that's even better. So having that wraparound zipper um, just works perfectly for the parents out there to get their kids going. But it also has that functional nature where, you know, it crosses over into this different space. So it just seemed like that was the perfect entry point for us to get out there in the market. And it worked and it allowed us to move into toddlers and then it allowed us to move into men's and women's and really grow the line. What, uh, what do you think? Just one last thing here. It's kind of a broad one question, but what do you think made this so? Um, I would say high, well, high growth or just successful because business consumer aspect, things that are pretty 
up in the air, right? Like you can't ever tell. And like, do you think that the shoes are successful because of the technology more, or do you think it's like a, a brand thing or just all in all, just it's a yeah. good shoe and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, great question. I mean, it's, it's, so we, when Darren and I first thought of the idea of like launching this thing as a business, um, we, <laughs> When we said like we want to take fashion and function and smash it together and just be on the shelves of major retailers, oh wow! Um, as a shoe company, and I mean to look back on that, you're like, well, that's exactly what we kind of did. But at the same time, looking back on like that was a crazy notion. I mean, it's just like you're going to a space that's like the most one of the most competitive spaces in the world. I mean, Nike, you got Nike, Adidas, you have Puma, you got endless, endless sketchers you got endless brands out there that are just like mega mega brands and then we have a small little brand that's to try to be disruptive in that space i mean that's that's a little crazy to try to do that and then to be able to take this notion where it's like okay we have fashion and function we want to smash that together dissolve this line between adaptive and non-adaptive it's like wow well that hasn't really been done either and then so i think the notion of us talking about that and then I think the story behind where the brand came from and then having a brand that like just talks about inclusion and talks about, you know, the ability to you know have tenacity and grit and just like put your head down and like move forward. Um, I, I think all that stuff helps tremendously, but I think the actual nature of the shoe, um, I think the shoe can kind of sell itself. But then when you hear about the story and where it came from and the initial premise of what brought us to market, I think that really helps build on the customer's desire to share the story of how this brand came to be and excited mm -hmm. to be. Because I think it's unique. And I, and I don't say that to try to put myself on some sort of pedestal. I just think our journey is an exciting one to share. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to share it. Again, not because I want to be on a pedestal, but because right. um, that's not me. But I, I, I think it's, I think it's a good story that um, that that can be helpful for for folks out there that are looking for to build their own business or yeah. trying to get something to you know motivate them to take the next step. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pass it to Earl. Uh, he seems like he wants to. Yeah, say you know, I yeah, I've I've met a lot of entrepreneurs that are building again, you know, physical things. Sometimes it's you know dolls, just you know, needed shoes. Um, it seems that there's always this notion that. Um, you know, you need, you need like a lot of capital for it to grow, right? Let's say you want to build your manufacturing line or whatnot. Is that true? Uh, how did you overcome just that mental hurdle? Because, you know, I deal with, you know, startups in early stage and that's the first thing they say, oh, I, I don't have capital to scale this. I have to do this kind of small scale. And, and now their dreams are limited towards even maybe their own city, not even their own town, right? I mean, how did you dream bigger and say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to break away from this. Like, you know, I, I need to get, let's say, a loan or capital first before I scale this. Like, how did you go overcome that? Because that's, it seems to be chronic if you talk to a lot of, you know, small business owners in America that actually build physical things. Yeah, capital is a big, capital is a big challenge. That's for sure. Um, so when we first started, uh, our initial seed funding, if you will, came from a Kickstarter campaign. And from the Kickstarter campaign, we generated maybe like 30 grand. Um, and that was a fraction. It was probably mm. half of what we, it was probably half of what we actually needed for our first manufacturing run. So the next manufacturing run came from 
my own personal finances to be able to dig into savings, like believing oh, wow. in a project and then, uh, and then throwing down on it. Um, because we couldn't go to banks. We couldn't go to banks to get lending because you present this business case. And exactly. Be, yeah. They'd be excited about the idea and like, wow, that's <laughs> awesome idea. That's cool. But it's high, high risk. I mean, it's like, well, <laughs> like what's your collateral? Like, well, there is no collateral. So exactly. That's what they, exactly. Yeah. So then what happens is then you start going and it's like, then the collateral ends up being your own personal guarantee or you're, you're signing off your house, your, your life, you know, like a life insurance policy, um, your car, like all your assets. So it ends up being very, very, it, it can be high risk for sure. Um, but I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of the name of the game at the moment or at, like, when you first start off. And uh, I mean, you can build something organically, but our challenge was our the, the desire and the need of the brand um, for us to grow was greater than our ability to grow it organic. We needed to have like cash injection just to be able to keep up with the demand in the market. So we were very fortunate to be able to have some early on um, investors, you know, believe in the story, believe in the mission, and they were able to, we sold equity for it, but they would also give, um, they would offer some, uh, some private um, lending that we would pay with like a higher interest rate because it is higher risk, but just yeah. the banks wouldn't be able to do it. And then we finally got to the point where we were able to have enough market share and uh, present, you know, a fair argument that it is a solid, solid business case that is showing to be profitable. Um, and uh, we were able to get an SBA loan, so a small business loan. And uh, but now the next round, again, I mean, the market is the, the brand's never been more popular. So it's a matter of kind of evaluating to see if the the revenue coming in from our um, from our retail partners um, that coupled with the demand to make more shoes for the factory, if like the cash flow position can stay balanced enough to maintain that trajectory, or if we need to try to bring in more outside capital, that's the stuff we're kind of going through right now. Yeah, yeah, I hear hear you, Billy. I, I definitely commend you for that. That's a uh, that's something that's uh, I don't know, just legendary, man. <laughs> I know, re it's admirable. They're admirable. I mean, definitely. You know, it, it, it admirable that you 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 took that risk where most people probably will chicken out, right? Uh, which is which is great. Um, maybe maybe my my last question here. I typically like, you know, I ask these questions um, it, it, towards the end. But um, my, my question for you is, you know, if if you had to talk talk to you know, no, knowing kind of this growth now in your story and 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 ask, you know, if you had to project and, and give advice to your you know, 19 or 20 year old self, uh, what, what advice would be knowing that, you you know, and how to grow, let's say a, a consumer brand from scratch uh, and building up being an entrepreneur, like what, what would you tell yourself when you were like, you know, 18, 19 or 20? Well, if I could go back in time and talk to my 18 or 19 or 20 year old self, uh, the first thing that I would do is I would talk about building a network, like keep building your network, like understanding, um, just meet people, get out there and just like, and, and it's a matter of just like getting a nice, a nice cross section, um, like network of folks in lots of different types of facets. Um, and just, I mean, cause it's crazy. There's so many people that, you know, I've been able to go back and, and talk to from my, from earlier, um, in my childhood to be able to like kind of catch up with them. Cause they, cause they may be watching what we're doing or like they had a skill set that, uh, 
I now need, <laughs> or that would be beneficial for us now, um, or to be able to kind of lean on their advice. Um, whereas at the time I had no idea what they did or I know it like recent, like for example, like you could have someone in distribution. So I'm 18 years old and I'm talking to someone that works in distribution. I have no idea what distribution is. I have no idea how to spell distribution. It's like, I don't <laughs> even know what that, what that even, I, I have no idea what you do. And then here I am, you know, years down the timeline and uh, our whole brand and company relies on distribution. It's like, oh, right. So I can go back and actually have that conversation, intelligent conversation and talk about there and ask them the hard falls and hard truths that they had to deal with early on to be able to, you know, help prop themselves up. So networking is huge. And secondly, mentorship, really mentorship, like having, um, if you have like some sort of a desire and some sort of passion to go in a certain direction, um, I would highly encourage one to not just boldly go out there on your own first kind of seek out some mentorship and um, just kind of like test the waters. I mean, be bold to take that risk, but at the same time, make it a cautious, like a, like a conscientious risk. I mean, it's like, I, I stepped away from my day, my Darren and I stepped away from our day jobs to do this thing full time, but it wasn't like we just like on a whim did it. At that time we had like kind of a, a team built around us, like somewhat of a board and the collectively it's like, look, the demand is strong enough right now that you guys have to step away and do this thing all the time. It's not full-time, it's 100% of the time because full-time, we were already doing it full-time because typically full-time, you think of eight hours a day. Well, we were working on day jobs eight hours a day and then this all through the evening and the weekend. So it was already like a second job, but in mm -hmm. order to really grow this thing, it had to be 100% of your time. Um, but being able to have that culture around you and that mentorship around you to be able to, you know, call you out if you're going in kind of a strange direction I like and, that, uh, yeah. But also encourage you to keep pressing forward. Because I, I would say that the opposite of success isn't failure. The opposite of success is quitting. It's a matter of just staying in the game, following in the footprints of that mentorship mentor. My mentor told me, it's like, if you're going through a minefield, <laughs> like following the footprints of someone that went like ahead of you. Because that way, like you're following the footprints in a minefield, you're not going to step on a mine. If you're going to go off on your own, you get yourself blown up. So it's like following the steps of the mentor in a minefield. And, uh, you know, that's the ton of stuff. And I, I think I kind of did that growing up a little bit, like unbeknownst to me, but I think I could have done a lot more and I would have been in a better spot today. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. One, one, one last thing for me or two, two last things. I swear. Uh, what, well, when you were talking about like funding this out of your own pocket, um, and going to debt, maybe you went into debt and took loans or used credit cards and all that stuff. Like, I don't know what made you do that or like just i guess like there's no other way for this to succeed right if you <laughs> unless you put your money more money and cash into this right it was yeah what made us do that um it was one of those deals where we made the decision to start and stopping then was not an option uh-huh it was like gotcha. the only like any sort of any sort of challenge that came through quitting just wasn't it, it just wasn't an option. You just had to lean in more and push forward. So it was, it, 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 I don't know. It was a matter of doubling down, really. It was just a matter of like, oh my gosh. Like, so that first manufacturing run that we talked about, epic fail. Like, well, that was a huge financial fail as well. And it's like, okay, that just blew a hundred grand of money. Like, what do we do now? And it's like, okay, well, 
let's go back to the kitty and try this again. It's like, well, if that doesn't work, then we're in a serious hurt. And, uh, but it ended up working. It ended up working. And then, but, but we definitely had other situations where like cash got really, really tight. And coincidentally, um, I was selling a condo. (laughs) I was supposed to pay off um, some other debt, but right when that happened, we had an investor that backed out and uh, Uh that, that turned into a triage situation. And uh, the money that was made, the, t- the timing of selling that condo, um, the earnings from that went directly into the business. So it was a matter of like, you know what? I mean, I'm going to invest in myself. It's like I have debt over here. I can I can pay off this debt or we can invest in the business, which would be investing in myself. And, you know, we can we can live another day. And uh, we just put in the business and we've lived many more days. Wow, man, that's amazing. I'm- yeah, that's, that's seriously crazy. <laughs> um, well, Billy, I think one more thing I need to know from you is uh, what would you say your startup mindset is if, you know, somebody asks you that? Like, uh, well, I guess I'm asking you that. So what is your startup mindset, Billy? Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. My mind is so scattered on any sort of given day. Um, Same. <laughs> but, but, I, but I will say that I'll, I'll tie this all the way back to you know, when, when I when I fell out of that three three story window and uh, broke my neck and broke my back and I was in rehab, um, trying to piece my life back together, both physically and mentally. Um, the mental part far outweighed the physical. It's like yes, there were lots of things I couldn't do, but the mental part was the part that was really the challenge. Try to keep the mind together because I mean I think this injury is really eighty percent mental, twenty percent physical. I mean maybe even ninety percent mental, ten percent physical. But uh, what I realized was um, at that time, I finally got to the point where it's like that injury, um, three stories to concrete, like typically like you shouldn't survive. Like that's like, that could have been game over. So the fact Mm -hmm. that I survived the day um, meant that from that point forward, I was just living on bonus time. And it was an opportunity to really try to make the most of each day and try to add value each day. So every morning, every morning that I wake up, my startup mental mentality is today is a day that I very well couldn't have had. So let's make the most of it. Man, that's uh that's that's amazing, man. Wow. Just to see how you overcame that and also all the other stuff we spoke about in terms of finance and uh not only your own personal ones, but the companies and uh, making you know the world better with the shoes that you have. I seriously think that just because um, it might not be obvious, right? Like somebody buys like a new pair of Adidas or whatever brand, and it's just they're happy and they can run better now. But I think with you, you're you're onto something. Or you've already discovered something where uh, the shoes uh, they're they're making such a big impact for for kids who have it tough, and that's that's good, man. Um, well, you know, Billy, I I don't know. Is there anything else that we should talk about or what what else do you think you can ask us or just yeah or, or, or I guess you know how how can how can our audience you know find you and then find the, about your your brand um, to learn more about this amazing story of yours? Well, a great way to find out about the brand uh, is our mothership, which is billyfootwear.com. Uh, it's our e-commerce site, but uh, on that site there is a drop-down menu that says store locations, and uh, on that page you can see all of our retail partners. Um, but also there's a map on there that's a bunch of little push pins, little goat heads down there. 
And uh, you'll find that there's lots of different locations all throughout the United States, throughout Canada, throughout Europe, um, Australia. So those are all retail partners that we have across the globe. So billyfootwear.com is always a great place to start, but uh, there could very well be some store in your zip code that's also carrying the brand. So uh, we would love your support. We'd love for you to be able to, you know, share um, just the story and uh, just point people in our direction. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll do that. And, uh, you know, Billy, I, um, it's funny. Is Billy Goat, was that also part of the branding there too? Or <laughs> is that an accident? Oh man, I'm so glad you pulled that. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So there is a play on words there for sure. Me being Billy, it being Goat, <laughs> Billy Goat for sure. But we wanted to have, the other part of it is we want to have a logo that just embodied tenacity, grit, determination. If there's any sort of like challenge, it's just going to put its head down and just ram right through it so it's all a matter of that forward nice. movement keep going man i, I dig it yeah uh, oh, billy man thank you so much for this podcast i i just uh uh really enjoy talking to you and hearing the story here and that de- definitely gotta get a billy shoe one day well thanks so much guys i mean i really appreciate it i i it's always such an honor to be able to um you know share our story and hope it adds value a- absolutely definitely